Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When I was two years old, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a generation wish. I was laying there, practically naked, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes, I, I believe my eyes were all right back in my head. There was a human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, 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 We are back on Conspiranormal, Normal, and with uh, producer Rob. Hey, hey, how's everyone doing? <laughs> we are of uh, we are of course Lukeless tonight uh, <laughs> once again, but uh, but hey, we are here. We're 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 sailing through here, right, Rob? But just like struggling through. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's gonna be a long marathon Sunday without Lukey. <laughs> yeah, it will be. It will be. Well, what you're hearing now is uh, our first interview that we have done on uh, April 17th, uh, but uh, the Joshua Cutchin interview is what you heard last week. So, but we have on the line, uh, I want to get right into the guest this time because it is uh, kind of late for him. It's about six hours ahead of us. And that is uh, Mr. Mark Anthony Wyatt. And he has written a book called Wyatt's Weird World. I, I love the alliteration there. <laughs> and uh, we're just going to bring him on. This is kind of like uh, the Steve Stockton show, Rob, that we had like back in October. We got some spooky stories, except now 
uh, we're going across the pond, as we say, to to Barry Old England, and we're going to kind of get like the English perspective on things. Mark, welcome to Conspiracy Normal. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be on. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And, and it was very cool because you contacted me about coming on the show. And uh, once I had uh, heard your interview on Where Did the Road Go with her good friend Soraya, I realized that I'd actually heard you on Jim Harold talking about a uh, one of the stories that we're going to talk about for, from the book. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, tell me just kind of briefly – you know, how did you get the idea to write this book? You know, what kind of inspired you and where, what did you, uh, how did you kind of like the process of writing it? Um, right. How, where to start? Uh, it's just really that I just wanted to sort of put it all down in writing and for posterity, I suppose. Right. Um, they, they were all in, all in my head from years ago. Obviously, they're all, they're, all of them are events that had actually happened. And I just sort of sat down one day and thought, well, I'll try and remember as many of these, uh, I say stories, but <laughs> experiences as possible. Yeah. And um, over a space of a few days, most of them came back to me. And... I do find, though, when I'm, when I'm chatting to somebody else about this sort of thing, that other memories come back. So, you know, I, I don't know if you've experienced that as well, but, you know, some of these things you just forget about, and then they suddenly pop back in your head. But I, I got a list of probably, I think it's approaching 30 various. They didn't all happen to me. Some of them just happened around me to other people. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's, that was what it, And it was just to get it out there and... It was an exercise, really, and just putting out <laughs> so that I've had something to build on because I have other plans for writing. Yeah, getting I, it. Yeah, getting it out of your head and onto paper yeah. and kind of yeah, so almost like a sort of therapy, really. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, yeah. you seem to have. I mean, you seem to run the gamut of some of the experiences. I, I think the only thing in this book that uh, that you don't really experience is kind of more like what we've talked a lot about on this show, which is kind of like the alien abduction phenomenon. But you do have things that are very similar. But yes, yeah. uh, and a lot of it kind of has to do. Some of it has to do a lot with sleep paralysis, which we've also discussed. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the uh, flying carpet story was um, sort of borderline, I suppose. And and as you say, it, it just depends how you take the story on board, really. I mean, I, I'm i very reluctant to go down that route personally. Um, I, I've, I've always felt that it's more to do with um, our own individual sort of consciousness and nature of time or whatever. It's just... Um, I'm, I'm not really a big UFO guy, really. Sure. Um, although I don't, I don't, you know, I don't uh, decry it. I think it's, it's just, it's my experience of it have mostly been to do with sort of apparitions and so on, you know. Right. And, and I think we would, we would describe ourselves here as, you know, we, we believe that there's UFOs in the strictest sense of the word as, un, as in unidentified yes. flying objects, but we don't yes. necessarily buy into the extraterrestrial hypothesis. No, that's right. When you have, like what you experience with like the sleep paralysis, when things are, are very similar to those two experiences, there's got to be something to that. Yes. So I want to get started and about talking about some of the stories in the book. And I've, you know, you've got about 32 stories in the book and I picked like, I think like to me were like the best 15 
are 16 of the stories. And okay. so we're not even going to, we're only going to get like halfway through what's in there in the book <laughs> tonight. So, uh, the first story is actually not one that happened to you, but also one that happened but it was one that happened to your father. Yes. And yeah. this is the one that I was talking about that I actually heard you relay on Jim Harold's story, a Jim mm-hmm. Harold's uh, podcast. What is, what is that story? What happened there? Yeah, that's, that's interesting you should say that because when the interview that I did with Soraya was posted a couple of days ago, I actually got contacted by somebody. I, di- I didn't know who they were, but they actually, from from me telling my story, which I'll, I'll, I'll explain to our listeners in a minute, um, he'd actually listened to the story. Now, I'd not given any great detail about where it happened. I mean, vague. there was vague detail in this. Sure. But some guy listening to it actually recognized the the very road that I lived in. <laughs> huh. And um, okay. and he, I didn't know who he was, and I just, just had his name on the YouTube uh, banner, you know. So I, he made a comment, and I responded to it, and it turned out he lived in the same village. He was quite a few years younger than me, and he actually said that he was well aware that the, the villages where I lived, where all this happened, was actually, I mean, in his opinion, the place was riddled with ghosts, you know. Um, whereas in my personal experience, yes, I, I knew of a few things. I knew of a, my dad's story. I'd had a few experiences, but he'd obviously had quite a few experiences himself as well. But it was just a bit strange that, you know, he should, <laughs> of all the places, you know, he found, he found the story of that particular, you know, the road even. Anyway, that, that is cool. Yeah. See, it's yeah, like that's, the, that's like the power of the internet right there. It is. And the I, power I of broadcast that, you know, that somebody yeah. could, could listen to that and like had that coincidence of like, oh yeah, I know where that is. Yes. You know, I, yeah. I think I've had the same kind of experience myself listening to some shows like, yeah, I know, I know exactly what they're talking about it, but mm-hmm. let's, let's get into the story here. And I've got actually okay. a story that, uh, well, our co-host Luke, that isn't here tonight, I actually wanted to tell you that's kind of similar to oh, your right. story. Right. Okay. Um, right. My, uh, I'll, I'll try and keep it fairly brief because I do tend to <laughs> go on a bit too much. But there's yeah, a lot of history it. involved in this. Um, but my, my father was a steam engine driver. Um, he, he was actually the fireman. And uh, he, this was 1960, 61 sort of time. I, I was only, I was a baby at the time. And he used to have to cycle to work around about five miles through the countryside wow. in, you know, all hours. So I was trying to sort of stress this when I've told the story before, but these were different times, you know, uh, it was um, sort of gloomy, sort of black and white Britain, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is before Margaret Thatcher, I guess. Yeah. Well, she took it back to there. You know? <laughs> 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 well, she tried her best. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it was, it was very. Uh, he, he he would recycle his five miles through the countryside. It was very rural, and he'd he'd done it for a couple of years or more before anything had ever happened. And he had had no previous experiences whatsoever, as far as I'm aware. And one evening he was well, I say evening. He he was on shift work, being on the being on the steam engines, and he was coming home. I think about sort of four o'clock in the morning. And he saw this light up ahead of him on the road. There was nothing else on the road. And he was gaining on this light. And obviously, he was faster moving than the light. So he, as he approached it, 
he noticed that it didn't have he, he could see it was a bicycle and he could see there was a man on the bicycle but he said it was like a, a glittery man that was his description actually that was his description when he described it to my brother he okay. told me it was um, like inwardly lit that was the way he described it to me um, but he didn't have a he, he just assumed it was a, a guy on a bike Right. So, but it was strangely lit. But that all sort of came to him afterwards. He didn't really think about it. He just saw this guy on a bike. He came up behind him. He went to overtake him. And he was a bit of a stickler for um, people not having lights on and this sort of thing. <laughs> so, as he passed this guy on the bike, he turned to him to, to sort of say, You've got no lights on, mate, you know. <laughs> and as he did so, this figure turned towards him and he said it had no face. It was mm. just like a black void. Um, sort of foggy and obviously it wasn't it wasn't a guy at all you know it was just some um, apparition of some description um and as this happened he he sort of faded from view completely and he, he said there was nowhere it could have gone and uh, that that was you know his experience and, and it frightened the life out of him at the time and my mother always told the story that when he came in that night he was shaking like a leaf and he, as he came into the house, he was he sat himself down behind the door, and he just he couldn't actually speak because he was so shocked, he couldn't sort of bring get the words, you know. Right. And it, it took sort of twenty minutes or so, I think. Um, but the the uh, I should explain it where it happened. We were actually living in a the house has been demolished was well the houses were demolished in about sixty one sixty two. And we were moved along with several other families. We'd, we had all been living in a gunpowder works uh, in the old buildings, which had been adapted, obviously. And this gunpowder works, um, it, was, it had what we called magazine buildings, which had very, very thick concrete walls and earthen banks on the outside of that. And the purpose of that was if there were any explosions within the factory – it would only kill and maim the people who were in the immediate vicinity. They'd sort of learned that over the years, uh, sort of damage limitation. So these houses were just in these old magazine buildings. So this was only, you know, a thousand yards away or so where he was. He was almost home, you know. And this gunpowder site, factory, we used to call it the gunpowder factory, it had been there for about 400 years. And there's, there's only probably there were there would have been about three or four in the whole of the country probably and they supplied you know the royal navy and the army and all the rest of them okay. probably probably flogged the gunpowder all over the world just like we, <laughs> like their modern counterparts you know right 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 <laughs> um so but the the site had numerous so over over the hundreds of years they had numerous fatal accidents and obviously these poor guys would be working and chatting away one moment and then a spark would set the gunpowder off and that was it they were gone and as you can imagine gunpowder you know it, it does it just blows you to pieces if you're in the vicinity and they used to collect the body parts this is really cool we used to collect the body parts and they used to take it to the, this nearby building which is now a pub well it's been a pub for I don't know whether it would have been a pub in those days, but it has, you know, made sort of 1,620-odd when it started. 
It may not have been, I don't know. But by the time, you know, 1800, 1900, it was definitely a pub by then. But they used to store all the parts and the dead bodies in this pub. And mm. again, the pub is very close to where he saw the man on the bicycle and very close to the gunpowder factory. So, so, so the thought is that this could have been someone that was a casualty? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of well, 99.9% certain that gotcha. it would have been. Yeah, And, and also the, the pub to this day has um, paranormal activity going on all the time. The, the management tried to keep it quiet, but the staff, if you can get the staff to one side, they will always tell you. And uh, I, I don't know if you heard me mention the other day on, on uh, Soraya's show, but I went up there about a month ago and I took my daughter up there to show her the area where I was born. And she stayed in the pub with her boyfriend. And in the early hours of the morning, well, throughout the night, really, they had problems with the lights uh, coming on and off. The television was coming on and off. There were cold spots. There were, the sensor to the shower kept coming on and off. And she'd even seen a figure walking around. She'd gone outside for a cigarette and she was just sat outside about 11 o'clock before they went to bed and she was just sitting out there chilling out and it was, you know, very, it's a quiet village. And she saw a, a, a guy, what looked like a guy with a hunchback, she said, mm. or slightly hunched back. <laughs> and he was, she was just following him, just assuming it was just another guy. Right. And as she watched him, he walked behind a car, that, a car came along and passed him. But as the car went by, the man wasn't there anymore. Um, and this is, these sort of things do go on there quite a lot. People, people who are sort of sensitive to it will pick up on it. And it's like a, I mean, I don't know what the acreage would be, but there's a, there is quite an area there that is just riddled with this, <laughs> which is, I would assume it just comes from all these explosions. Yeah, for it, 400 It sort of disrupted years. the energy somehow, yeah. however, however it works, you know. It's interesting that so many of these stories, I mean, we, we make such a big deal in horror and popular culture about like ghosts and, and how they're, how scary and how eerie they are. But so many of your stories and other people's stories and like your daughter's story there, yeah. it's almost like the first initial reaction is oh, just a person walking around. Yes. Exactly. And there's yeah. no, there's yeah. nothing really like weird or mysterious about it at no, first right. until somebody disappears. That's yeah. right. You you actually do think they're just normal people. Right. I mean, I, I've had, um, I, mean, I, I call them walk-bys because I, I seem to be, well, I, in the past, I sort of, I feel I've been targeted by them. <laughs> in that I see them, I just assume that they're in fancy dress or whatever, you know. Right. And I see them walk towards me and then the, ne the next thing I know, they're just not there anymore and there's nowhere they could have gone. I mean, I've had, set, I had a, look earlier i just went through and i've never actually added it all up and i worked it out earlier that I'd, i've seen possibly seven at least seven actually at least seven ghosts i've actually seen them um most of those probably six or seven of them would be solid body yeah just a, like, and think um, just yeah a and as you say i mean i just yeah. i just assumed they were you know just like me and you <laughs> right until until we did the disappearing act yeah, it's, it's interesting. I want to relay the story before we kind of get into that, because I want to kind of segue. That's a nice segue into an, another story. Um, but this is, uh, this is a story that Luke said the other day, and he actually was in the car with uh, driving through Oklahoma. 
Okay. Kind of the middle of the United States. And, and they were driving back here to Nashville and they'd done some work out there and he wasn't paying attention. He was on his phone and the other two guys were driving and it's real late at night. And all of a sudden they see this, like what they think is like a kid walking on the side of the road on this highway that where there's, you know, it's probably two, three o'clock in the morning. So there's nobody on the road. And they see this kid, and then all of a sudden, they start remarking about it, and Luke looks up too late to even see him. But they told Luke, when they finally kind of passed him, they looked back, and the kid had no face. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, it really it really, really reminded yeah. me of your father's story there. You know, yes. it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. These, these things often, there's always a story that is, like, unconnected. These people don't possibly know each other, but they mm. see the same phenomenon, the same, it's almost like the same archetype in a way. Yes. So it's very interesting. Let's let's talk about and I kind of we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit here. But uh one of the stories you were just I were, this is a good place to to talk about it because this is one of those walkbys that you talk about and this is the yes. uh this is the story that you call the jumper in the book. Yes, yeah. And this yeah, is a little um, later on okay. in life here. We'll go back to your childhood yeah. in a bit, but Yeah, I, w- I was probably 20, 21 something like that. No, actually, I just think I'd be younger than that. Actually, I'd be seventeen or eight. I was at college. Okay. Um, I was at a place called Kingston on Thames, just sort of south of London. And we go up there once a week from work with a few lads, and we had to do, you know, accounts and law and all this sort of stuff. And um, as I was walking, we had to sort of commute on a train. And as I was walking back from the college with the two lads on a Friday night. Very, it was very busy. It was probably sort of, I suppose, four o'clock ish, something like that. And, um, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. And there were people coming out of the station, sort of forecourt. It's quite a big old um, Art Deco station, beautiful station, actually. And they were coming out from the station, people coming home for the weekend. And there were people going up to the station trying to catch trains elsewhere so they were all sort of weaving in and out of each other really because it was quite busy and as i'm walking towards the, the main road in front of the station i saw this guy walking towards me who sort of resembled john cleese in his uh, ministry of silly walks that's <laughs> that's what he looked like i mean he he was very tall very sort of skinny he had a suit and tie on he had a bowler hat on and bowler hats at the time, I mean, it, you know, you, you, ne- you never see them now. But at that time, even sort of this was 79, 80, something like that. Okay. And even then they were rare. So that alone was enough to draw my attention to him. Plus the fact he was so tall. So, you know, he, he was head and shoulders above most people around him. And I'm, I'm six foot one and a half, I think. He must have been three inches taller than me uh, and I knew that because by the time he got to me he was towering over me but he weaved in and out and I for some reason uh, uh, obviously vis- vis- visual I was drawn to him just just to look at him because what a strange looking man and he seemed to be watching me that was the impression I got he had you know if he didn't he, he didn't have a blank face he had a full-on face right um and he just walked towards me, weaving in and out of people. And as he got closer to me, I, I still had eye contact. And as he walked past me, he sort of um, looked down at me, 
sort of slightly, you know, his head was sort of, I suppose his chin was where my ears are. <laughs> and as he looked down, he, he sort of had a very pasty white face and he had to sort of really sickly sort of grin. Mm. And he just, he just sort of grinned. I mean, he did, he did just sort of grin at me. Yeah. And as he walked past me, I, I'm just thinking, you are one. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say exactly what I thought. But I, <laughs> I turned around. <laughs> and as I turned around to watch him, because I thought, what a, I, I just wanted to see, you know. And he wasn't there when I turned around. He just wasn't there. And I then stood there like an idiot for about five minutes, I suppose, just looking around, trying to figure out where he'd gone. And um, I looked all around me, and I would have seen him because he was so tall and because he had a bowler hat on. He had a briefcase as well, I think, and a brolly. He was, he was just so out of place in that time period. He looked like he was um, sort of 1950s or 60s sort of city commuter, you know. Sure. It was, it was a commuter line because that's like the suburbs. Right. Um, in fact, the name of the town, because it was Kingston, and then Surbiton, which is obviously suburbia, Surbiton. And they, you know, they, I, I just stood there for some time, being jostled by people going backwards and forwards, thinking, you know, get out of the way. And, but I was in, I, was, I suppose I was in slight, slight shock for a couple of minutes. And my mates had gone ahead. They hadn't seen this. And I can remember them sort of turning around and saying, come on, get a move on, Wyatt. We've got a train to catch. And I told them the story on the train. And as I say, they hadn't seen him at all. And they, they thought it was hilarious. <laughs> hmm. um, and that was it, really. I mean, I, I just, it just sort of always stuck with me. But I think that was probably my first, what I would call a walk-by. But I've had, had several of those since. And, and I do feel it's as if we, maybe some of us who are sort of sensitive to it, Maybe we have some sort of a, a deeper level. Maybe there's some, I'm just guessing here, but maybe some sort of inner light or something. And they know that these, these uh, what apparitions, these energy forms, whatever they are, they know that we can see them. Kind of like a moth attracted to a light. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I think they, they just sort of replay their last days or whatever they're doing he's probably still going home to his you know for his dinner for the weekend or something what, why did you refer um, to him as the jumper in the book well oh yeah the jumper comes from um when when it's quite sad really but when, when people jump in front of trains yeah um that's the expression that they used at the time i don't know if they still do um my, my father after he was on the railways he was actually as i say was a driver but many years later he was uh, on the Royal Mail as a postie, and he worked on the uh, emptying the mail and loading the mail trains on the station. It was quite a big station at Guildford, and sometimes people would commit suicide by jumping on the lines at the station. And he would—I uh, don't know quite how it happened—but the the station master or whatever would actually say to them, "You know, if anybody wants to earn any overtime tonight, there's, we've had a jumper." Hmm. And they all knew what that was, and some people wouldn't do it because you know he just couldn't face it. Yeah, it's very but morbid. Think, yeah, yeah, it's very horrible. And he, I think he did it a couple of times, and you know it was just awful, terrible work. But um, I suppose you know, I mean, you no, know, he helped the emergency service. He didn't do it all on their own. And, and so it could have um, been yeah, that's too, where the expression comes from. It could have been too that that if this person died, it could have been an accident as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe he was sort of hit on the road or something, you know. 
it's possible. You also equated him, I think, uh, maybe after you'd actually relayed this story and written it down, uh, this idea of the grinning man that people will see. Yes. Uh, yeah, that that really came sort of after the event, really. I mean, at, at, at that time, I would never have known about the grinning man. In fact, it's only in recent months, really, that I've sort of picked up on that. But it was on listening to other people's stories in recent months, and I thought, well, there, there is a resemblance there between what I saw, and it's it's all just labels at the end of the day, isn't it? It's, um, you right. know, we give these things labels, and we, we don't really know what other people are seeing. But when we see something that is, or hear us hear us something that sounds similar, we I suppose we latch onto the label, don't we? Yeah. We so do. I think I think it, you know, with his grinning and his sort of sickly smile, that's it. Just had that resemblance, you know. So I, I'm not saying he was the grinning man. I'm just saying that that's you know he had that to him. Sure. So, but but I would say he was more likely to have been just somebody who just sort of died on the line or being killed by a car outside the station, something like that. Yeah. And just kind of repeating that last moment possibly. Yes. Yes. I, I want to ask, like you mentioned this a little bit earlier and this is the flying carpet story. Now this is kind of going back to your childhood and right. this is uh this is an interesting story because you, you were working at like elements of the sleep paralysis stuff and also mm. out of body experiences. Yes. It, it's funny actually because, um, you know, you mentioned out of body experiences, and I think when when Soraya put it up on his, he 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 mentioned out of body experiences. Now, yes, I'd had that, but I'd, I'd never actually thought of it like that. It's strange, I mean, and 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 yet it blatantly is, isn't it? <laughs> right. It's um, you know, it's it's but it's funny. I never put that term to it. I just have had these memories of being being a child and doing this sort of flying thing where it started off with this sort of sleep paralysis. Um, I'd sort of come around and sort of feel that there was something coming, and I never knew what that something was. And it was it was a repeat, repeating, a repetitive dream. But it, I say dream in inverted commas, you know. It's like I'd, it happened so frequently, well, maybe once or twice a year, and I recognized it every time it happened. I thought, oh dear, here we go again. And I just felt this sort of sense of dread. And then the same things would happen in the same order. And so there's like this anxiousness before it arrives, whatever it is. And I never saw anything. I never, ever saw anything. Um, and then there would be this flying thing where I'd be flying along the landing and then down the stairs. And it always seemed to be sort of as if I was going so fast. And, of course, as as a child – and you're, you're just dreaming. You're just assuming you're, you are um, your physical self. So that's what I always assumed when I was flying down these stairs. You're, you're not aware that you're in a dream or whatever it is. And as I got to the bottom by the wall, the outside wall, um, I always felt I was going to hit it. And that's how real it felt. I felt I was going to hit this wall that speed and it was going to hurt. <laughs> but it never did because I always managed to sort of bank off to the right and then sort of go through the side of the door. There was a side light, you know, side lights. Um, and next thing I'd know, I'd, I'd be outside. <laughs> and But it was never like, um, I couldn't say that I remembered all of the details from start to finish. It's always uh, very bitty. It's like images have stuck 
over the years. And they, but the one, the one you mentioned, the carpet, that only happened the one time where, that I actually remember the carpet. And I, I think it's some, well, there's, two, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. One is that I, I did a lot, of, always done a lot of reading. And even as a child, I was, I was reading quite early. And I had a lot of stories read to me. And one of those stories would have been, and I, I know it was, um, Ali Barbo and the 40 Thieves. Right. Which, which obviously had the flying carpet. So, I mean, it could be said that that imagery came from the reading. Um, but then, of course, you've got the other school of thought, which is it could be some sort of screen memory. Um, and I, I'm not sure, you know. I sort of sit on the fence on it, really. <laughs> um, but I was on this rug carpet, and I could see the sides of it billowing in the wind or the air, you know. And it had, like, tassels on it. And I could see those blowing, you know. And it was just like, I suppose billowing is the best word I can think of, down the sides, like it was meeting resistance in the air as it was flying. And it was cold, and there were a lot of kids on this, you know, and they were all sat in front of me, various ages. And I, I must have been towards the back, so I could see all of them. And uh, anyway, so we were sort of 20 or 30 feet above the rooftops, it was a moonlit night. I mean, I remember quite a bit of this. And as we got to the end of the road, quite a very long road, there was a cul-de-sac of 1930s-style houses on the left. And as we went over there, I could see all the back gardens. And I could see, you know, chicken runs and dogs, or not dogs, cats, actually. Um, just there, I could see most things in the garden, you know, it's quite clear. And I, I noticed this uh, climbing frame in the house nearest the end of this cul-de-sac. Now, is this what we would refer to as monkey bars? I don't know. What's a monkey bar? I think it's the same thing. It's like kind of like a it's like a U-shaped. You climb up one end, and then you climb along the top, and then you climb down. Is that what a climbing uh, frame is? A, 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 cul- a cul-de-sac, sorry. Oh, a climbing frame. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I thought you, oh, oh, we're okay with the cul-de-sac bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sack, I understand. Oh, right. yeah. Sorry, I was confused. Yeah. <laughs> no, the climbing frame is like, um, yeah, it's just like aluminium uh, tubes, in, sort of formed into sort of wide ladders, and and sometimes they're domed, and they have a hanging bar for okay. like you just go along like like you would in a gym, yeah. maybe. It's a monkey bar. Uh, yeah, monkey bar. Yeah, yeah that's what we bar. call them here. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. Okay. monkey bar. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, um, and it was quite quite high i suppose as a kid it was quite high anyway um but i could see it in the bottom of his garden and this garden was at the top end of a cul-de-sac and or the house the house and the garden were and it on one side it bordered the railway line and it had quite a tall fence and and just outside this house so it's like if you if you imagine you're at six o'clock on a cul-de-sac <laughs> you're entering it at six o'clock this house is actually at 12 o'clock just to the left okay. and there's another house at uh, one o'clock just to the right and there's a passageway between the two like a little footpath and that footpath takes you to a railway bridge which takes you over the railway obviously like a footbridge now that footbridge as a grown-up i went back there as a six foot plus bloke and i stood on that bridge and there was no way I could see into that garden. So what, what I'm trying to get to is that as a kid, 
at the time, I'd never been into any of those back gardens. I, I didn't really know anybody on that side of the road at all. Right. Um, so I had no knowledge of what was in those gardens. And now what happened was, um, I was five or six, I suppose, and a new lad started at the school. And we'd, we'd got friendly at school, and he'd invited us around for tea after school, you know. So I went around. Now, I knew, all I knew was he was a new lad, and I knew roughly where he lived. But I followed him, well, I went home with him, straight from school, and he actually walked into this house. I mean, I, I knew he was in that cul-de-sac, but I didn't know he was in that actual house. That's all I, you know. So I was thinking to myself, oh, this is where the climbing frame is, you know. I just had it in my mind. I knew it was there. and But I didn't mention it. And then we, we had our tea. He had two older brothers. And after we'd had our tea, we went outside to have a kick around of a ball. And I was a bit impatient because I knew they had this uh, monkey bars, as you call it, monkey bars. <laughs> so I went running off. You know um, what they say, Mark. You know, United States, that? United States of Britain are separated by the same language. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. is it? Um, yeah, there's another one, isn't there? Something like <laughs> a, a com- common two countries divided by a common language. Or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I I rushed off down. You know, as you got to imagine, I was, I was just five or six years old. So I rushed off down there. Said I want to go on the climbing train. So. I, I rushed through, and there was like a little hedge surrounder with a, like a one inch, you know, little entrance between the hedges. And I sort of rushed through. We all smashed through at the same time, really. And we started playing. And, and there was his, his older brother was hanging upside down on the uh, top bar. And he was just fixed me with a look, and he sort of said, how did you know that we had a climbing frame? <laughs> but, of course, at the time, I couldn't tell him, and I, I still haven't. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know him now, anyway. Um, so, you know, but uh, how did I know that was there? That, that's just, that's yeah. the weird thing. I, I still can't get my head around it. That's the amazing thing about that story, mm. because even if you weren't having an out of body experience and you just dreamed it, somehow yeah. you were projecting something that you actually yeah. saw this item in this person's yard and mm. you knew it was there. Yeah. I, well, that's that, just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, one other one other option which has just come to mind. I never really thought about it before. Is is um, perhaps it could be like a sort of deja vu and, and take the deja vu thing even further. You could take the. Do you have you ever read Anthony Peake's work? No. Yeah, he he studies sort of the nature of time. He's fast fascinating guy. Yeah, and he's he's got the idea that uh, I, I be careful what I say because it's his <laughs> trying to get his it, you know it's his his writing, but he thinks that deja vu is to do with like a not so much a a premonition so much as a memory in that perhaps is it, was it Nietzsche who said we have an eternal return mm-hmm. so it's almost as if we've maybe we've done it all before and maybe it was a memory from the last time around yeah i've definitely so, had that feeling of deja vu you ever had that rob real strong it's it's a weird <coughs> feeling yeah and it was it was actually a lot more common when i was younger too yeah mm. Well, he, he has theories about that as well, because if if he's right, and if we do live the same life over and over, a bit like a video game, and we get better at it, <laughs> maybe <laughs> uh, we get to a higher, we get to a better level. <laughs> so, so, 
say for example, I mean, he, he cited several examples where he, it's almost as if you, you might be about to have a serious car accident, but some, I mean, these, these sort of things have happened to people. They're just about to have a serious car accident possibly. And they hear a voice in the car and there's nobody in the car and the person's sort of saying, you know, pull over, pull over, pull over, pull over to your left or whatever. So, you know, I'm just, this is just one of, <laughs> there's numerous examples of this once you start reading up on it. And they do so. And then a steel tube comes off the back of a lorry or something in front, which would have gone through the windscreen and killed them. Right. So what I'm saying is that it could have been your final moments, but, but there's this sort of this, like this daemon character, not a demon, but like a daemon like a backseat driver in your consciousness that is keeping an eye out for you. And he's played the game before. It's kind of like an over-consciousness so, in a way. Yeah. yeah. So it's very difficult to talk about this stuff to actually get the right words without sounding crazy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, you know. it's, it's some real deep philosophical stuff. Mm. And, and, and something else that actually reminds me of that in your book is, and, and this one is creepy, and fascinating at the same time. And that's the ghost family. Yeah. Now, that, that one, I, I hold my hands up and admit, totally admit, that I, I did make some of that up. Because I I, mean, I don't know why I did it, really, but I, I just felt it had the makings of a great little story. Yeah. Um, but as it, as it was, it wasn't that brilliant. It was, although, like we said earlier, I mean, a lot of these stories aren't, they're not scary at all, really. They're just as is, you know. Yeah, maybe surprising, but not necessarily scary. Yeah. yeah. So I, I sort of, um, I, I doctored it a bit because, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the facts of it are, but I did actually, I I should explain to the readers, sorry, I, the listeners. Um Again, I was very young. I was probably about eight or nine or something like that, probably younger. And we were on holiday in, in, on the Kent coast, sort of southeast of London. And we were staying in an old apartment building. And this, this particular area that I'm talking about, it was, you know, it's right on the English Channel. And it suffered terribly in the Second World War with the German bombers. And whole areas of this place... And a lot of the towns along that coastline were really badly damaged. I mean, people, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were killed in bombing raids. And it was just like a wasteland. I mean, in the early 60s, you know, it was still, like I said earlier, Britain was in the 50s and 60s was a pretty grim place. Um, you know, it's probably like <laughs> modern-day Poland or something. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, it's just a, I've just insulted half a, a whole nation there, probably. It's okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we will get some emails from Poland or something. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, any Polish people. Um, but, you know, a lot of these buildings were smashed to pieces, and they, they were just like wastelands, and they were full of buddlier, you know, buddlier of a shrub and where it always takes over these old bond sites and that. And this was one of the buildings that was still around. Sort of, it was only 20 years later, you know. And um, we were staying in one of these, and it had been converted into holiday flats, holiday apartments. So, as you know, I was one of five kids, the, the middle one, and we were all staying there. And we were sat around in this little kitchen, little sort of kitchenette, having uh, afternoon tea. <laughs> and um, I, 
had the urge to go to the toilet and the toilets were downstairs from this they were on the floor below so i'd rushed out to you know ask permission for mum and dad and just gone out and when i came back up the stairs i came running up because they said i'll be quick and everything else so as i ran back up the stairs i just the door was sort of partially open i think and i just bashed into it and went charging in and sort of you know said i said something along the lines of oh was that quick enough for you or something like that but what amazed me was it wasn't my family that was sat there and that that bit is totally true it's just like now i do not know to this day why why that is because it's just um you know it was another family but they were all very similar i mean it was just like the mum and dad were similar the ages that there were three three girls there was a baby which was my younger brother or wasn't in this case um but there was it was just peculiar just peculiar you know and then there was like this sort of um how can I put it, like an uncomfortable silence while well, they sort of stared at me and I stared at them, you know. And it was like, well, that's odd. Who are they? Who? And they were thinking the same thing, I suppose. <laughs> but, um, and then I, I sort of went outside and I'd, I'd gone up to the upper floor, you know, there was like a floor, so it's like a concrete stairway going all, all the way up the side. And I was I just sat up there thinking, trying to figure it out, and I was looking at the numbers. And uh, trying to work out, well, what have I done wrong? Because I'm sure that's the flat I came out of. Um, it's just, uh, I'm trying to remember it now. It's a long time ago. <laughs> but, yeah, this this guy came out. And he was sort of just looking up at me, sort of a bit, bit curious as to, well, who, who, you know, who's the little boy sort of thing. Um, and then shortly afterwards, so I don't know how long afterwards, my mother came out. But she did come out. Or she, you know, I've got to say, I was just a kid, so, you know, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I did get it all wrong. I don't know. But she sort of wondered where I'd been, and I told her the story. They didn't really believe me. Um, but she sort of, she sort of, you know, oh, you've got lost, whatever. I don't know. Um, but I sort of fiddled around with the story a bit and just made it a bit more entertaining. So, uh, and, and was it? <laughs> so, so there wasn't this, like the little girls and it say, can he come join us? No, that, that didn't actually happen. The dialogue, the dialogue was totally, totally okay. made up. Yeah, did did yeah, they yeah. look like they, yeah, they were they, from an earlier time period? I mean, I guess, would you have known that at that age looking back no, now? I, I, no, I honestly couldn't say they did. They, they yeah. just looked, they looked the same as my, um, my sisters and my brother. Well, my brother was just a baby anyway. Um, I, I wouldn't say so. But then if you look at pictures of, um, I mean, if I look at pictures of myself in the sort of mid-60s and my brothers and sisters, if you look, also look at 1950s and probably late 40s, the, the way they were dressed wasn't that different. Okay. It was, as a, I mean, it gets back to that 50s and 60s vibe again where they, they didn't really have a lot of fashion or anything. It was just um, quite drab. Um, yeah, you know the, the little boys wore long shorts down to the knees and woolly V-neck jumpers, and you you all had the same haircuts, you know, the sort of crew cuts. So there wasn't much so, of a change in fashion from nineteen forties no, so. to nineteen sixties. So, okay. But like you say, if I was I was young, I probably wouldn't have noticed that anyway. Sure. 
but um, you have no, to I mean, wonder if there's if they're sitting there in 1939, this family, and then all of a sudden the door opens up and there's this little boy standing there, <laughs> and they're like, "Who the hell is that?" Yes. And then yeah, like yeah, yeah. the dad, then like you close the door, and then the dad walks out and it's like looking around, and and they're like. And then there's this yeah. family that probably has this story about this little ghost boy <laughs> that opened the door. There's something, there's something, there could so be something, creepy, isn't it? there could be something going on with time there. Yes. Like a ripple in time. Yeah. Uh, and, and we are the ghosts. Yeah. Um, as I say, I, I would, <laughs> on that particular case, I have to hold my hand up and say that I made that dialogue up. So, because I just had that thing about that story, and I just like I had them walking through a wall as well, didn't I? That yeah. that, that didn't happen. Um, the, you know, the, the story when I'm speaking to the old lady at the end, and she's sort of telling us telling us the story. But I mean, that didn't happen. But there was this peculiar thing where the guy, the father, did actually come out, and he did actually look up at me, and as if to, he he looked puzzled. Um, but when he went back into the kitchen you know i didn't hear that conversation like oh maybe another one along in a minute you know that was just yeah <laughs> just my my imagination running away with me I think. um but i still think there was something peculiar about it um yeah but, for sure were, were they from you know were they um a family that had been bombed i don't know you know because there's so many of the buildings around there were demolished by bombers you know <laughs> Right. Um, and that was only, that would have only been just over 20 years earlier. Not that it makes much difference, but. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't have been a very long time no. from that period to, to, to yeah, the next, I to your period. Suppose, yeah, they were bombing it in, I suppose, between sort of 40 and 43, 44, maybe. Yeah. And that was 66, 67, probably. And you did have the V2 rockets. I mean, that was a little later yeah. in the war. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, they they tended to go a lot further as well. Actually, the yeah, they did. Yeah, but here's an here's an interesting one that uh, lost time, and this one's kind of different than your usual kind of missing time story. Mm. And I thought this one was pretty pretty fascinating <laughs> and, and kind of funny at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I mean, it, it, uh, that story isn't really paranormal at all. I, I, I feel that I did just nod off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, um, in, in my whole life, I've only ever had that experience. And I'm sure, I don't know if anyone else would recognise it. Where you actually close. It's a very strange thing. You actually close your eyes as you go to sleep, and then you open them again, and it's like several hours later. And that, that is one hell of a good sleep, you know. <laughs> um, but it, it does feel like you've just closed your eyes and you've opened them again. But but then it's like, and it did happen to me when I was very young, One just the one time I remember. And that's precisely what happened with, with the lost time thing. We'd, um, I think I was about 18, and we'd all been down the pub. There's, I think there were about four or five of us, I can't remember now. And we'd come home from a pub. My mate had a, um, like a prefab house, like a prefabricated house, which was in the middle of a sports playing field. It's where, um, if you've heard of Chelsea Football Club, they actually train there now. But yeah. in, those day, in those days, it was a, um, like a, a school playing field, sort of 
re- removed from the school, but they used it. And he was right in the middle of this playing field. And we'd all gone back in. We'd had a few pints and we'd all gone back and we were watching videos. It would have been videos then. We were watching uh, Mark's brothers and Will Hay, I believe. And um, I was sat towards the back. So we were all sort of sat in front. Of, the telly was in the corner of the room. And we were all sat in different sort of armchairs and chairs coming away from the TV set. And I was at the back. And the story goes that I was, I was telling some story. And I just suddenly stopped. And um, they, uh, they basically turned around to see, oh, well, you know, get on with the story. And, of course, they, they said I was just gone. Well, I wasn't physically gone. I was just uh, <laughs> asleep, you know, right. which isn't that unusual. I mean, we all do that probably, especially yeah. after a few beers, you know. So, um, so they just laughed and just carried on watching their film. And then several hours later, I mean, I can't remember what it was, three or four hours later, they were on to the next film and they were watching this next film. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I just suddenly carried on with the conversation uh, precisely <laughs> where I left off. And it was just like I'd shut my eyes and open them again, you know. That is strange. And, it, could yeah, be phys- it, just, it could be completely ph- physiological, but that is pretty strange. <laughs> it is. And because uh, I gave them the start of their lives, you know, they, they, they suddenly heard this voice come from behind them. They'd forgotten I was there, you know, because I was just quiet. I wasn't snoring or anything. They'd sort of forgotten I was there. And they say that I came back into the conversation halfway through, well, I don't know, because, I, you know, they say I was halfway through the actual word that I was saying when I stopped talking. So <laughs> that's quite odd. Yeah, it is very odd. <laughs> it, is, it is very odd. <clears throat> Let's talk about the man with the bucket on his head. Mm. Or as I put that, it down here, bucket head. Yeah. <laughs> bucket head, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, that was, um, we used to, uh, that was and this is more of a, this is very sleep this is a very sleep paralysis like story yes well I, I think you know when i look back because writing this book gave me that um as i say it was a bit like a therapy almost it was it was like a reappraisal of all these things that had happened they'd always they'd always been in my head you know these memories but by writing them all out it made me sort of revisit a lot of these things and try and sort of put it into sort of perspective you know and um, this was around about the same time. And there was a f- common theme with this sort of sleep paralysis thing. Although at the time, I would never have called it sleep paralysis. It was just what happened, you know. And it happened, I can say this sort of thing has happened from when I was a youngster. And it continued. Um, the last time it happened that I I'm a, can remember would have been in the 90s. Um which I think I'll tell, I'll tell the story here in the book somewhere. Um, but it was a common theme that did crop up with this, um, where you wake up in the early hours and, you know, you're here. I mean, with me, there was always like a sort of, uh, like a light blue, very strange blue sort of um, light that used to just sort of flood the room. And there was, and it's so difficult to put this into words, but I'm sure if anyone else has had the experience, they'll know precisely what I'm trying to get to. There was a feeling about it, like a deep feeling. It was like the reality we're in now was suspended briefly. It was like you're outside of that, and it just feels very strange. And you know it. When you're in it, you know it. And you you also have 
a memory of it happening before because obviously it has happened before um and it's it's like that sense of dread where you think oh here we go again you know just when just when you might go a few years without it happening and then then it'll crop back up again yeah and very um, similar to the alien abduction experience. I mean, that's the, it's yeah. kind of the same thing. People report the, not maybe not necessarily the light. I mean, I guess that is a part mm. of it, but yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it happens and, and, periodically yeah. and they recognize the signs of it. Yes. And there's also like a humming. I yes. always get like a hum. It's like an electronic humming. It's a little bit like a generator and it's very low. It's a very low hum. And, um, Right, I'm, try, I'm trying to get back to the actual story because it's just like a common theme. It goes through a lot of these, you know, as I say. Yes, yes. So the, the man, the Buckethead, we call him Buckethead. Um, I it was. Uh, I used to hang out in this, this pub in the in the same village, very close to where the uh, the monkey bars were. When I was sort of eighteen, nineteen, with all my mates, we were bikers and whatever. And uh, occasionally, we'd just pop off for the weekend on a camping trip. And, you know, like a, a Friday summer evening, and we'd just sort of say, right, where are we going? And we'd go off. And it usually go two or three hours away. And we ended up in Dorset, which is um, on the south coast, not that far from, you mentioned the Isle of Wight earlier. Mm-hmm. It's not that far from there, really. And it's a very, very pretty coastal, you know, county. And we ended up at a place called Corf, uh, C-O-R-F-E, where there's a, I think it's, I might be wrong, but I think it's 12th century, I'm probably wrong, but it's a very very old castle there. And next door to the castle, there was a, a big field where we camped. And the actual village itself was um, made of a local stone, um, very, very distinctive. Um, again, I might be wrong, the Dorset people will probably correct me, but it might have been Purbeck stone, but it was like a very pale sort of stone. Everything was made of it. Very pretty place. And uh, we went out for a curry, and then we had a few beers, and then we went back to the campsite. And uh, we hung out for a bit, you know, bonfires and whatever, barbecue. And then we decided to go into the tent to sleep, and I had three mates with me and a, and a girl well she was a mate as well but she's my my mate's girlfriend now they went into the zipped up compartment in this tent and us three other lads slept alongside each other in our separate sleeping bags in the other half of the tent so i don't know if you can picture that so you've got three guys all laying down alongside each other and in the middle of, but sort of at the end of my feet, there was a pole holding the tent up. And the opening would be in front of our feet, you know, about another, I don't know, six to eight foot further forward. So anyway, we all went off to sleep. I'm in the middle. And around about sort of three o'clock, four o'clock, I get woken up by this uh, the, the strange blue light. Again, it crops up over and over. And this humming sound, very very low humming sound. And I, again, had that same sort of feeling that, uh, you know, something, something's happening here. <laughs> and I tried to wake up the lads alongside me. And then I saw this uh, figure, like a black figure. I couldn't see a face. It was like very dark, a robed figure. And his head, or his head area, was 
actually sort of touching. I, I couldn't see it touching the top of a tent, but it was right up to the top of a tent, you know. And he just, he was just stood there sort of looking at me and it was communicating, well, it felt like it was communicating with me, um, but not actually in words. It was just like, it was like everything I was thinking, it was answering. But almost before I'd even finished the sentence, you know, the sentence in my head, it was just instant. And as this is going on, I'm trying to, still desperately trying to wake, and this, this is a common theme as well, because whenever these things happen, I do try and wake up like, if I'm with my wife, I try and wake her up. And I sort of say, you know, can you see whatever in the room or whatever it is? <laughs> and you can, you never can. You never can, which comes, that's that sleep paralysis thing. You just cannot move. Right. But I can, I can always move my eyes. I can always see what's coming and I can see what's around. But you can't actually sort of get out of the way of it. You can't tackle it. You, you, there's nothing you can do. You're just stuck. And so I'm desperately trying to wake the lads up. I couldn't. And the only thing I can remember actually saying, I'm not even sure if I put this in the, in the book, but it was, I can remember responding to it. And I, as I say, I don't know what he was actually saying, it or he, whatever. I don't know what it was saying to me, but I do remember sort of saying, well, I don't want to go. You know, I was like, not pleading, but I was sort of mm. slightly pleading. Yeah, I, please, I don't want to go, you know. I don't know where, where, where it was going or whatever, or, you know, I have no idea. Um, and, and the strange thing is, as with most of these cases that happen sort of periodically, I can't remember the actual experience finishing. Uh, only in one case I can think of. Um, it just, it just ha- happens. And then in the morning, I sort of remember it all. Yeah, you just like like you just wake up eventually. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And it's yeah. like, and even even when the, the odd stuff does happen, sometimes I'll actually just go to sleep. And it's 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 a weird thing. It's like people would imagine if these things happened that you would sit up the rest of the night, you know, on on guard and worried, but you don't. For some strange reason, you don't. You just go, get on with it. You just go back to sleep. Um. So anyway, in the morning, where the buckethead thing comes from, the shape of this figure. From around about the shoulder area, well, I couldn't really see shoulders. It was like it almost went up to, not a point, but like a sort of slightly flattish top. And then it, it's difficult to explain it on the, on the air. Um, trying to think of something that, I mean, at the time, when I described it to my mates in the morning, I made the mistake, and it was a mistake, <laughs> of describing it as a ma- like a bucket-shaped head. Right, and then what, they just think it's silly, you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, I should have spent more time thinking about how I was going to describe it, but you don't have the time because you, you just want to tell your story. Oh, this happened to me, and, you know. Well, it makes me so, think about um, those, because weren't there knights that had the armor, like the – the, yes. the helmets yeah. that did have the flat head and it kind of looked did, like yeah. a bucket. I mean, I guess yeah, like yeah. the, the, the one that I'm thinking of, you know, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, the, yeah, exactly, the, the knight that exactly. gets his yeah. arms and legs chopped off. And that kind of, I mean, there was <laughs> yes. that kind of helmet that did exist. There so there was, yeah. And it, and it was, it was like a long, that's what I was trying to get over to my mates at the time. That's yeah. exactly. But it was like, if you can imagine the bottom of a galvanized bucket and they've got that, it's like a ring at the bottom. It's a circle. So if you can imagine like a sort of 
although I'm, I'm obviously laying on the ground looking at it, so I don't see that. All I see is the top being narrower, and then it tapers down slightly, and it sort of tapers down towards the shoulders. So, I mean, that would fit that. Um, but anyway, they, they spent the rest of the, the day and whatever, and probably the rest of my life, really. <laughs> I occasionally meet up with them, and it, it might come. It, you know, if we're in the pub, maybe once every five or six years, that story might come up. And they'll sort, of like, they'll sort of say, oh, tell us about the man with a bucket on his head, you know. <laughs> because n- none, of those, none of those lads, I mean, they're great lads, but none of them have ever had anything like this happen, ever. They're sure. very materialistic sort of, they're nice guys, but they just don't, it doesn't exist for them, you know. They think it's all a joke. Right. Um, it, it, let's talk about the, the vicar. Because mm. this one was interesting as well when we're talking about ghosts and you see them and you just think it's a real person yeah this is one that you like had a conversation with <laughs> yeah no, no I, yeah but I, I i can't say it was i can't say it was a ghost i don't know it was just very yeah. very strange um it's just like was it a ghost i don't know i mean I, okay what happened i was standing on this um this was around about the same sort of period i suppose maybe a little bit later probably in my early 20s i think and i was and strangely enough, I was at that station is very, very close to that footbridge, which is overlooking that garden. So, you know, all of this stuff has happened, a lot of it anyway, has happened around that area. And I, I will just say, I think that, that there's a possibility that the electric current running through the rails may play a part in some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how, but maybe it does. Um, so anyway, I'm, I was standing on this platform and I, I'd got down there. It was a Saturday morning, you know, it was a sunny morning and I'm waiting for a train to go into Guildford, which would then take me on, onto another train to go into Woking where I worked. And as I'm waiting, I was early. So I was pacing and I was on my own. Nobody was there. I was pacing up and down the platform. And I was just looking at a stop every now and again, bored, and I'd look onto the railway lines. And I was just looking at all the rubbish between, uh, you know, underneath the rails, you know, people where people throw their lighters and pens and whatever. It's just all sorts of rubbish down there. And I was just looking at that, really. And I suddenly noticed this guy walking towards me. But I had been, it, it's where, I'm, where I was standing, you have visibility all around you. And you can see the other platform. You can see the footbridge. So anybody coming to you towards you, you would see them come down. It's like a long slope from the other side. You would see them walk down the slope. And even if you didn't see them walk down the slope because you were preoccupied, you would see them on the bridge. You know, the odds are you're going to see them. But I never saw that guy come out, come down the slope or go over the footbridge at all. The first I saw of him was when he was walking towards me. And... The only other entrance to the station was behind me, but he hadn't come from that direction. I would have seen him. Um, so he's walking towards me, and I, my first thought was, well, where the hell did you come from? Because I didn't see you coming towards me. So as he got closer and closer, he came in quite close, I mean, a bit too close, and he started a, a conversation. And he had a like a dog collar on, you know, like a vicar wears a you know a white collar, right? Not and, a literal uh, dog collar, isn't it? 
No, you know, sorry, I don't. It's, again, not, it's, it's not the Sex Pistols or something like that, right? <laughs> no, that would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of Sid Vicious. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's thrown me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I've got that image stuck in my mind now. <laughs> You're welcome. Like an elderly Sid Vicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm having. Uh, he's having a chat with me, really, more than me having a chat with him. He's just, and he's, he, he knows. He he just knew all about my family. He was asking me about my my, my brother and my sisters and my mum and dad, and and he he knew a lot about them. And I'm thinking, well, he must be a family friend, but I didn't know him. So he's asking all these questions, and where I'm standing, I can look down where the railway line approaches from the village where the gunpowder works was. That's not connected, but that's where it was. It was like uh, probably a mile and a bit down down the line and you can actually see right down as far as as far as you can see you know it's just straight obviously and um you can, i saw the light of a train coming towards us and you can always pick it up sort of maybe i don't know maybe seven or eight minutes before it gets there and you can see this light getting bigger so as he's talking to me i said to him because he's facing me away from that and I said, oh, train's on its way. So he turned around and watched it. And then we had a bit more conversation. And then the train pulled in. And he, this was like the, the doors used to open out. I don't they all slide now, but they used to open out. And he went to get onto the train. And I followed him into the same compartment. And he sat down. Try, trying to describe the layout of a train <laughs> on, a, on the radio is quite difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, he, he walked through, he sort of got on the door and then he turned left and went into the sort of central walkway and there, was, there were like um, a pair of seats either side with a table, a little table in the middle of them. And he sat down facing towards where we were going, facing towards Guildford. And I sat down facing backwards, opposite him. And over on our right, there was a couple of, um, I'd say they were in their 20s, a youngish couple they looked like they were hikers or something like that and they were sat sort of watching us very closely and I, I that sort of I re- sort of realised that later more than at the time really sort of quite uncomfortable they, they were just li- were staring at me all the time and there were sort of grit grins you know and uh, <laughs> so I'm having this conversation with this guy but he's actually getting quite quiet he's quietening down a lot and it looks as if he's tired. He, he looked really tired. And I realized that he's, you know, he's, he's done his talkative bit and he just wants to relax, you know. So I, I stopped and just let, let him enjoy his peace. So he was looking out the window. And as we went, as we pulled out of the station, we went under this bridge. And over on the right-hand side, there's quite a lovely view of these allotments and then you can see off towards the village church. And as he was looking out across these sort of the meadows and the allotments and that, he he made a sort of strange remark, which was something like, oh, they're just like I remember them, hmm. which at the time seemed a bit odd. And, he, and he, he, had, he had a look in his eye, a sort of like a misty sort of um, sentimental sort of look, you know, like he was remembering stuff. And as I say, I sort of gave him his piece. I didn't, you know, interrupt his thoughts. I just watched him. 
And I noticed that these other, this couple on the, my right were watching me quite intently. I felt a bit uncomfortable. And the station we were heading to is literally only like, you know, a couple of minutes, five minutes maybe. So as we got into the station, I said goodbye to him. And this couple was still there. And they didn't appear to be getting up. And I, I got off a train. And I something made me look back in the window as I got off to see, you know, just to have a, a last look at them, you know. And they weren't there. The, the vicar wasn't there and the couple weren't there. Now, they could have got off a train. It's possible they could have walked down to the next door. So something just felt very strange about all three of them, really. So I walked up and down the train a few times in, in amongst the, there were a few commuters about, not that many. And I just walked up and down the train a few times and there was a subway going under all the different lines and there's also a footbridge. And I looked down the subway, there's like a very, very long slope that takes you underneath. And I looked down there and there's no way that an old guy, because he was knocking on a bit, there's no way that he could have got down and round the corner before I saw him. And so he wasn't on the subway. And I looked up the steps towards the footbridge and he wasn't there. Now, he could possibly have gone to the, um, the toilet, possibly, in the train. That's the only place I can think of. Um, but that was unlikely because it's just not the done thing. You don't, I, I, you know, you just don't go to the toilet in um, on a train when it's in a station for hygienic reasons. <laughs> yeah, they, right, fl- right. They, fl- they flush out on the, on the line, you know. <laughs> so all they did then, I don't know what they do now. They did in those days. So um, you know, he just he just wasn't there, and then. That made me sort of think to myself, well, who were those, who were, who were the couple, you know? Were they, what, did I imagine that guy somehow? Did I imagine the whole meeting, which I, I can't, I can't, I can't see why I would. Um, or, you know, were, were, were the younger couple, were they in sort of league with him? Were they part of his crew, if you like, you know? Were, were they observing me or were they looking at me and thinking, you know, there's a nutter here. He's talking to maybe, maybe they couldn't see him. <laughs> and maybe they ran away from you and that's why yeah. you couldn't find them, uh, you yeah. know, but yeah, that I mean, was interesting. Cause I, I, I couldn't tell from the story hmm. what you thought about the couple, whether you thought that they may have been something up, up with them. Because when you first mentioned them, you know, you feel like kind of like that you kind of see that they don't see the guy or you felt like they didn't yeah. see the vicar with you. Yeah. That's what I wondered. I wondered whether they just, whether I was, you know, maybe I, uh, maybe that, that guy wasn't there. However, right. it sounds crazy talking about this, but this, you know, it happened. But I'm looking at, I'm, I'm talking to this guy, and he's he's solid, you know, solid and real. But maybe they couldn't see him. Maybe he was only there for me. Now, so a couple of things came out of this. Um, somebody said to me years later, and I was I was telling them the story, and they said, well, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about this stuff. I mean, I can only tell you what happened to me. But sure. She felt that, that that may have been some sort of guardian angel. And maybe they'd seen me pacing up and down the railway line, looking, you know, looking. And maybe they thought I was one of these jumpers yeah. waiting for the train to come in, which um, 
is a possibility, but I mean, I, but obviously I wasn't going to. There was no thought of that in my mind. I mean, I was just, I was just waiting for a train, and I was doing what probably um, I don't know, eight out of ten people do. I was looking at all the rubbish on the railway line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just bored, just bored, waiting for a train to come in. Interesting, very so, interesting. Um, and the, the other thing was, I don't know whether I put this in the story, but the. Oh, only only fairly recently, a few months ago, I was looking. I got sent a book about that village where I was brought up, and in there there was a story, or, or there's a piece about the church, the local church, and um, there was a picture of a vicar from from memory. I think it was. Oh dear, when was it? I think it was 1890s or something. I can't remember now about looking. But there was a picture of this vicar who looked similar. I wouldn't say it was him, but he looked similar. Hmm. And when I started reading up on this this vicar, a vicar had actually drowned himself in the River Way, which was behind the church. Now, the church was probably, I don't know, a 10-minute walk from where I was. Okay. And. You know, I said that he was looking across the meadows and the allotment and he was sort of yeah. like looking all misty-eyed and reminiscing almost. He was looking towards the church. He was looking towards that, the area where the river was. The river goes behind the church. And that's where this vicar had drowned himself. So, there's a, again, there's a possibility that that had something to do with it. Uh, and the other thing I should point out um, is that I actually knew – and I, well, I, I, he, he died, unfortunately. My One of my best mates, his father was the vicar. So I knew who the vicar was. Not, not that vicar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew who the local vicar was. Right, and it wasn't him. So yeah. I knew it. Yeah, it definitely yeah. wasn't him. Definitely yeah. wasn't him. And I actually knew who the, they had lay preachers, I think they called them. And I knew them as well by sight. Because I, when I was younger, I used to have, I was in the choir, so I knew, I knew these guys. Um. So, and I did actually meet, I mean, I, uh, the, the, vicar, the vicar died a few years ago, and I see his son probably once or twice a year, and I've, I've told him this story, and he sort of was racking his brains going through all the vicars that he knew through his dad, and, you know, who it might have been, and he, he couldn't think of anybody that answered the description. Mm. So, it, it is just a mystery. I, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. And that's what I like about uh, your stories in your book is that you don't really come to any kind of firm conclusion mm. that you kind of like leave. This is the experience I had, mm. take it or leave it, you know, yeah. and, and you don't kind of for it can like, this is, you don't, you're not, you're not dogmatic about anything in the book. No, you know, no, you leave I'm, it very open. Yeah. It's, it's all a puzzle to me. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, when I experience these things and I just, and I, I like to look at, you know, if something's happened, I like to look at the history of that place to see if anything does fit. And sometimes it would be very easy for me to say, yeah, this fits up. You know, but like, for example, the, uh, the I don't know if you've read The Strange Glowing Men. I mean, I could have come up with a, a, a nice, easy, neat finish to that if I wanted to. Um, but it wouldn't have been honest. It wouldn't have been honest because I, I actually looked into the history and that there was a, a doubt in my mind that in that case, I, sh- I should point out that for anybody who hasn't read it, The Strange Glowing Men um, refers to 
some figures that my an elderly neighbour used to see coming up our garden path. It it's all, all happens in the same area, same village, you know. And she used to report this to my parents quite and us quite frequently when we were younger, say, oh, did you see them? And, you know, early hours, you'd see them coming up our back backyard, you know. And they would disappear into the passageway between the houses, but they'd never come out the front. And I had it in my mind because I'd actually had an experience where I'd actually had somebody come up behind me in that house and put their hand on my shoulder, but there was no one there. And I know it was a hand. I could feel feel the hand, feel the fingers. Hmm. And I wondered whether there was some connection between because I'd heard this story about a plane crash, an American bomber, actually. Um, that's another story altogether. But I'd heard this, that supposedly it had come down in the fields behind where we lived. Now, it would have been very neat and tidy for me to sort of bring all that together and say, oh, yeah, a bomber crashed in that field, you know, and this yeah. is the air crew. Right. And that would be so neat and tidy. But it, it didn't happen because I did the history. And I looked into it and I found these old maps and... And there were three plane crashes. One of them, well, one of them was a V1, which you mentioned earlier, which actually <coughs> crashed, uh, I suppose, a mile and a bit behind us, you know, um, which wouldn't, wouldn't have, you know, there'd be no crew, obviously, anyway. And um, there was an American bomber went down the other side of us, but like a couple of miles away. Which again, there'd be no reason at all why they would be in our garden. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, none, none of it fitted, none of it. So it's the only thing I can come to the conclusion with the strange glowing men is that they were either mill workers from the local mill, which wasn't far away, one side of us, or the gunpowder works, which was like a mile or so away, to the other side of us. So. Um, it must be quite confusing for listeners because obviously they don't know the geography of the area, and it's uh, you know. Um, oh no! I mean, but, it's it's. I mean, it's 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 all about the story, you know. Yeah, uh, and, and that's interesting too. That you know, you didn't just jump to the conclusion with the mm. with the plane crash because you can hear stuff like that, and people can tell you, "Oh, a plane crashed here," but some yeah. of that's rumor until you actually do the actual research on mm. it. You don't yes. really know. A yeah, story yeah. is a story until you can prove it. That's right. You know what I mean? As far as that, as, as far as that kind of story, now, the stories that, that you're talking about is, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, you're, you're telling those stories and you're saying, you're saying, this is what happened to me. And like the, the proof, like these kind of stories, you can't really prove. It's just that, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I love because I, I'm not really into like the ghost hunting shows anymore. I kind of no. got tired of, the uh walking around in the in the dark with the uh, night vision goggles right. I, 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 I love the personal stories because you can tell you can really tell when someone is is honest about what they experienced yeah that's why I, that's why I was a bit uncomfortable about the ghost family because I, as I say I, I'm honest and say look I made some of that up you know yeah but it, it is the only one of all of those stories where I've actually I don't know why I did it really. <laughs> Maybe it should have been in a separate book, really. But um, yeah, every, everything else is is just as as happened, you know. Let, let's talk about because uh, we're kind of running low on time. Uh, let's let's talk about Henry the Eighth. Yeah, that's that's an amazing story. That's that's actually my favourite, really, because 
it's it was just again it wasn't you, you just mentioned about these ghost hunting shows where they always do it in the dark they've got all these gadgets and gizmos you know yeah and people people want to be scared when they're watching it on the telly you know and it's but it's in real life when you right, see right and like they're like what's that what's that and they cut to commercial and then you come back from commercial <laughs> and it's a cat you know yeah that's right yeah. but you so say in, in real life you know they're, they're <laughs> sort of solid body you think they're real until they do the disappearing act on you and um it's just not like that at all you know so um Sorry, what, which story were we oh, on? Henry, Henry the Eighth. <laughs> Henry the Eighth. That's my yeah. mind. It's been a long day. Um, yeah, it's yeah, getting late Henry, for you there. <laughs> yeah, Henry, the Henry the Eighth thing was. Um, I, I lived in a. I lived up in Northumberland, which is like the Newcastle area, and we were out in the sticks, out in the countryside, on, on the River Tyne, but further out. And there was a 12th century castle just at the bottom of our road. And my best mate at the time, I still know him, he was the custodian that looked after the castle for English heritage. And, and his wife did as well. She was part of the team. And they had three children, the same ages as our children were, it was sort of youngsters at the time. And we, we were very friendly. So we spent a lot of time actually in the castle, which was, when I look back, I mean, I didn't think it at the time, but it was quite a privilege, really. You know, they, they were good days. So we'd, we'd have access to parts of the castle that the public wouldn't because obviously there were lots of areas where it was unsafe for the public to go or they just weren't ready to be, you know, shown to the public. So I spent quite a lot of time there. And on one one particular evening, we'd gone around for dinner and um, I was helping out this this guy and he was getting, he wanted some leaflets or something for the next day. And he had already closed, he'd closed the castle. So there were just two families in there. So there's like four adults and six children. Nobody else there at all. And he's in charge of a site, you know, and he's locked up at five o'clock. And he had to lock selective doors for fire control and this sort of thing. So there was like, you know, probably half a dozen different doors. He had to do a routine every night. So when it came for him to say to me, can you go and get these leaflets, Mark? Instead of going down the way I would have done during the day, and which I knew, he gave me sort of instructions. Oh, you've got to go along the landing. You've got to do this. You've got left ear, right there, and all this. So I went off on my own and had to find my way down to an area that I knew, but a different route. So I did that, and I got to this other staircase, which I'd never used before. And as I came down the staircase, I was probably about sort of eight or ten feet off the ground so i'm still on the stairs and i heard these footsteps coming towards me from directly in front of me on a stone floor heavy footsteps so uh, i don't know how quickly but i saw this guy walk towards me and he was a big man i mean i'm, I'm six foot one and a half he was at least as tall as me and he was big he was i'm quite a skinny guy he was a big chap and he was dressed in what I can only describe as sort of Henry VIII style. <laughs> and the, the reason I say that is because my version of what he looks like comes from sort of school history books. Right. That, that's the picture I've got when I say that. Yeah. So I'm, not, I'm never saying that that was King Henry VIII. What I'm saying is he looked like him. You know, he was dressed like him, and his figure was like the artistic impressions that you, you get. So anyway, he walked towards me, 
And uh, my natural assumption, as with most of these things, is that he's some sort of role player. He's like a reenactor actor or something like that. Because they do have them at the castle. Uh, you know, they, they have them for the public to sort of make it look more authentic, you know. And they do a bit of role playing. So I saw him walk towards me and I, I just thought it was a bit odd because uh, my friend hadn't told me that anybody else was staying. And also the fact that he was dressed like that, you know, off duty. <laughs> so as he approached me, he actually, so you've got to imagine I'm sort of eight to ten foot off the ground and I'm just standing there watching. I'm not moving further down. I just stopped and watched. And as he got closer and closer to me, I kept my eye on him. He wasn't looking at me until he got very, very close. And as he passed below me, so I'm trying to think where his head was. His head was sort of around about my uh, waist area, something like that. I'm just trying to picture him. Now, he looked up to me, and I, well, I think I spoke first, and then he looked. And I just said, and it sounds daft now, but I said, hi. <laughs> <laughs> which you know it's like a sort of modern language isn't it really it's like what else are you gonna do really i mean well yeah i mean yeah. I, I, but I, he probably you know if it was something so i don't know he, he wouldn't have known what high he was i don't suppose yeah but anyway he looked he looked at me he had he had you know he's full full body man he looked at me i saw his face and he ignored me he totally blanked me <laughs> he just looked at me he was sort of like um i don't know just um uh, disdain, I suppose, is worth looking at. You know, it's just like, who are you? Well, I mean, he is the king, after all. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then he went off. He actually went off to. Well, there was like a a doorway off to his left. Because I, I think when I was chatting to somebody the other night, I said it was right, but it wasn't right. He went off to the left, but I saw him go. You know, from from the moment I saw set eyes on him, I said hi, and he'd gone. It was literally very very quickly. And he'd gone. So I carried on anyway. I didn't, I just thought it was a bit strange. So I went off, got these leaflets or whatever I was getting, and I walked back. So when, when I got back upstairs and I'm back in, in the, you know, with the kids running around and, the, you know, there was like a big sitting room. They had a massive, massive, you know, living quarters. And we were in the kitchen. I was in the kitchen with the, the guy. And I put the leaflets down and we start, sorting i'm helping him sort out his, these things for the next day and i kept thinking well who was that guy and it was sort of playing on my mind <laughs> we've got to find out who it was so i said to him i said oh have you had any of these uh, reenactors in today you know for playing role playing and he said no i said oh have you got any coming tomorrow and he, he sort of said well no why do you keep asking you know, why why are you interested sort of thing you know and I said, well, I've just seen a guy downstairs. Now, I didn't say to him straight away, I've just seen Henry VIII or somebody who looked like him. Nothing like that. I said, well, I've just seen a guy downstairs. And um, he sort of stopped what he was doing and looked at me and said, and basically sort of said, who? What? You know, because obviously he's, just, he's in charge of the security and there's somebody in the castle as far as he's aware because I've just told him, you know. Yeah. So he was panicking and he said, well, where did you see him? You know. And I, so I said, well, I just saw him at the bot bottom of the stairs. He walked towards me and came from, you know, in front of me. So he then called out to his wife, who was in the next sort of sitting room with all the kids and my wife. And I can still sort of hear the conversation, you know. He sort of, they were an interesting couple, a lovely couple. They were from uh, Derbyshire. 
and they had quite a strong as me telling and me as a Brit telling you this, but they had very different <laughs> accents to me, very different to me. And he called out to her, and he said, "He said, oh, Mark's just seen um, a guy downstairs.'" So then she came through from the other room, and she stood there, and she said, um, "Well, what did he look like?" So <laughs> I took a deep breath and because I knew it was going to sound daft, and I said, "Well, Henry VIII." <laughs> <laughs> which um you know it's quite comical really that's, that's why i quite enjoy it because it's again it wasn't scary in the least and um she sort of started laughing and she started singing this old musical song because she was just a great character you know she started singing i'm, I'm henry v8 for i am i am right right you know so um anyway so cut long story short i went downstairs with um the custodian i won't give his name out on there i'm trying not to give his name out there so i went downstairs with him to have a look for this guy and you know he he wondered whether somebody had been locked in but he couldn't figure it out because they hadn't had any reenactors there during the day and they i don't think they had him there the next day i'm not sure i can't remember now so we went looking we we couldn't find him i mean he just wasn't there there was nobody there and, you know, throughout the rest, well, well, when we were looking for him, he kept saying to me, you know, I'm very busy. You know, I'm very busy, Mark. I haven't got time for this. You know, you've had your joke. Now, <laughs> just own up and admit you didn't see anyone, you know. But I couldn't because I did. And um, it, it took him a few hours to actually, you know, by the end of the evening, he was starting to think, well, maybe he has seen somebody, you know. Hmm. But he'd, he'd never seen anything there, but he was quite open-minded to, to all of it because his kids had often seen, and strangely, one of the lads, the youngest lad, he had seen quite frequently in the early hours, he'd seen a man, strangely dressed man, as he, I think he called him. No, funny, funny. He was dressed funny, I think he said, because he was only like eight or nine, I suppose. He'd seen a guy walk through a wall you know, this guy sort of walked into their bedroom and they, they had, you've got to remember, this is like a castle. They're living in parts of the castle. Some of it's a bit more modern, but, you know, these are massive, massive rooms. And he's, the, the young lad had seen a figure, a funnily dressed figure, walk through through the room and then just walk off through a wall. Wow. So, you know, and, and various people who visited, you know, their, their uh, customers, would occasionally come up to them and say, I've, you know, I've just seen such and such in such and such a room, you know, because some people are obviously sensitive to it and others aren't. But he himself had never seen anything. So that gives you validation to your story, you know? Yeah, I think so because, well, I don't know because the, the young lad, I think his description was like a, he was dressed funny or something. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose yeah. they are dressed funny. But so, somebody, when I was telling somebody else this story, they said, well, actually, it could be just, you know, probably wasn't King Henry VIII, but it could have been just, it was the fashion of the day that that's right. how you dressed, you know. People dressed so, like the king. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah, that, that would make yeah. sense, especially in that time period. Yeah. Let's, let's but, do one more. Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Well, I was just going to say that um, I, I did a little bit of research to see whether, you know, that, that was only recently I did the research to find out whether he, King Henry VIII, had ever actually been to Prudder Castle. So I should mention that's the name of the town, Pr- Prudho. It's spelled Prudho. They, they call it Prudder. And uh, it means Proud Heights. It's Norman. 
And um, I did a little bit of research, and as far as I'm aware, he hadn't actually been there. But the connection would be, if there was one, the family who run Prada Castle were called the Percy family. They were like mm-hmm. the, the, the Percy dynasty. They were like very, very powerful in northern England. They were the earls of Northumberland, I believe. That's yeah. right, yeah, yep. yeah. And as you would know then, Anne Boleyn was um, attached to Henry Percy. I'm not sure which one it was. Now. Actually, that's the first I'd heard of it until I read your book. Oh, right, right. So, um, yeah, so if the story goes that Henry Percy was going, I was going to say going out with, uh, they were an item. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether they were married or what, I don't know. Um, but he was with Anne Boleyn. But Henry VIII wanted Anne Boleyn for himself. So there has to be some connection where he'd either been there and seen her and fancied her <laughs> or somebody had tipped him off or was a, you know, nice young lady up north, you know. So um, he, anyway, he got Anne Boleyn in the end, as we know, and I think he ended up cutting her head off, didn't he? Yeah, we know how that turned so, out for her. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so there is there is a vague connection um, between, you know, Anne Boleyn is the Lincoln piece. That is interesting. Um, so, yeah, again, it, maybe it was. You know, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Let, let, let's do one more. Uh, was there one that you wanted to ask about, Rob? Uh, no, I actually covered the, the two that I... Okay. Spooky Party. <laughs> yeah, that that was, uh, that was incredible, actually. That, that's in the house I'm in now, actually in the room above me. Okay. And... Um, uh, uh, this house, we, we live in a Victorian semi, and I don't, I don't have any problem with it whatsoever. I love it here, and I don't have any problem, you know, late at night on my own. Anything, it's just, but a lot of people do when they when they visit. Um, it's, it, I've I've had quite a few things happen here where I've had voices, and my my wife's heard them as well, actually, actually over us in the bed at night, as if it's like a couple of girls chatting. But it's very muffled, very muffled. And and we've ruled out all the obvious, you know, radio, TV, neighbours, blah, 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 you know. Um, and she's actually experienced it as well, which was sort of verification for me. Um, but the spooky party was, well, I, I, that's just a name. I had to call it something. It was sort of three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, and I was woken up. My two lads at the time were in the same bedroom. They were only young. They would have been, I'm trying to think now, if they would have been eight, nine, ten, round about that sort of age. And um, so I imagine I'm asleep and I get woken up by this absolute bedlam, this din going on towards the back of the house. So I wasn't very happy because I'd get up for work in the morning. So I got out of bed, and I'm absolutely livid to see where this noise is coming from. It's just dreadful. I assumed it was coming from outside, out the back somewhere. And then I realized, as I got on, got outside my door and started walking down the landing, that it was coming from the back bedroom, uh, which is where the two boys were supposed to be asleep. So I was... You know, a bit grumpy because I've been woken up. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I basically, I think I just kicked the door open to sort of try and s- surprise them, you know. And the only person that got surprised was me because the noise, it was incredible. It was like, it was like there were lots of fully grown men and women having a party. Mm. And it was like they were in that room. Now, it's really, really peculiar because my boys were only young. 
there was no reason whatsoever that they would have friends around who were older people having a party. You know, they were kids. Right. So, you know, all of this sort of comes to afterwards, but at the time, all you hear is the noise. But I could hear, like, what sounded like clinking of glasses. I could hear voices, but they were muffled, but like excitable voices, you know. So it sounded more like a party coming from next door. That's what it sounded like. But it wasn't. It was actually coming from that room. Because when I kicked the door open, it stopped dead. It literally stopped dead. The noise stopped. And there was this so incredible... Weird. Yeah, there was this cold, very, very cold feeling. And it felt as if I was being stared at, really stared at. And there were, my two sons were asleep in bed, totally asleep. And there's no way they were putting it on. And there was no way that they could have made those noises, you know, the voices that hadn't even broken. You know, they couldn't do the manly voices. And um, So it was just weird. That was probably the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me, actually. Oh, interesting. And, and it, it just felt, and I did have a similar thing, not quite the same, in my own bedroom, which was, as I say, next door. And but that wasn't with noise; that was just with a, like a presence. There was something in there, and again, it it came with this coldness, this real extreme cold. Mark, why do you think these things happen to you? <laughs> and, and, and with your yeah. father's story yeah. that we started off with. Right. Do you think that this, because there's some studies and some ideas that a lot of this runs through families. Yes. Yeah. And I could definitely tell you stories that my mother has experienced and, you know, right. that, that, that some of that I've experienced that, and it, it, do you think that, that it could be like an inherited thing? Are yes, there any other members of your family, like your children that, that are, cause yes. you mentioned your daughter earlier as well. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, of, of my, my own family, my daughter's, yeah, and son, actually, I'm just having to think about this. My, my daughter definitely, and she's very, very clued up to it. And she, she has recently been, I make it good. She's recently been working in an elderly people's place, you know? Yeah. And she, she, they, not just her, but a lot of her friends, they, they experience stuff all the time. Um, so yeah, she's quite familiar with it all. My son, my eldest son, he has actually seen what I call like a sketchy man, which I've seen one myself as well. Uh, that was in North Devon. He saw something similar to mine, actually. He saw something run right across the road. And it, it was, it was funny actually, cause he was quite skeptical before he saw that he'd never seen anything and it sort of changed his outlook overnight really. Um, so yeah, my, my daughter and one of my sons, my other son is very, uh, different, very different. I don't think he's ever seen anything. Hmm. And, um, my father obviously, but with him just for one experience, I think he had a strange deja vu once and that, that's about it really. Um, other than that, yeah, my, one of my sisters, I've got three sisters. One of my sisters is quite tuned into it, but she absolutely hates it. She, she won't even talk about it. Really? She's you know very sort of scared of it. Does doesn't like it being talked about at all. But she does see stuff, and and also her son, her son does. So yeah, yeah. I think it does. It comes down through families, but it's not. It doesn't affect everybody. It's it's fascinating how that works. I've never yeah I've never. It's it's almost just like the the trait for brown or blue eyes. It's almost just like it's yes, it's just yeah. an inherited genetic trait. It is. It was uh, similar to something I was actually going to ask you. And it's, um, you started the book off with a quote. It's a fairly popular quote, something like, um, 
when you take an interest in the paranormal, the paranormal will, tends to take an interest in you. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I was going to ask if, um, do you think that, you know, maybe you've experienced more of this stuff than most people because you're interested, interested in it? Yeah. Um, not really, because I, I don't go looking for it. It's sort of, most of these things, I mean, like the, the solid body apparitions I've seen, they it's um, they're like walk-bys. They're like they they come out of nothing. They don't, you know. I'm never consciously thinking about this stuff. It just, you know. Well, and I think if I was thinking about it, I don't think they'd be there. It's just they they tend to surprise you. So, right. So, but um, I guess, I guess where I was where I'm going with this is that a lot of people will sort of pass that off as oh, you see it because you're looking at it. I tend to think yeah. that you see it because you believe in it, and that sort of thing tends to show up more to people who um who have that sort of faith in it or belief in it, or they, you know, they manifest. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't say that's the case for me because, you know, every, yeah, it's, I mean, if, if I'm not thinking about it consciously when I see them, um, I mean, it's like, if you know, if I'm seeing a solid person walk towards me and then he's gone, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I think it's like they're targeting me. I don't think I'm actually. I think you know. Why are they targeting me? That's the question. You know, right. I, it's like why aren't they targeting other people? Which I, I don't know. I can't really answer your question because it's like uh, I don't know why I'm seeing them. Uh, you know, I really don't know. Uh, but it's not. I don't think I'm looking for them. Put it like I'm definitely not looking for them. Yeah, they're finding you. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I've been on. I've been on a um, a few ghost hunts. Not too many. I mean, I don't take them too seriously, really. But I've I've been on one at um, one of these English heritage properties, and I didn't see a thing. I mean, I just, I, you know, and, it, and if if it was if I'm out there looking for them, I would have seen them. <laughs> You know what I mean? If I wanted to see them, right. if I was that way inclined, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see something. But I, I didn't. I mean, I, I was wandering around sort of Victorian servants' quarters and all sorts, and it, I just didn't see anything. And it, in fact, it wasn't till afterwards that we were running through some videotape and we we found a strange sort of voice on the camcorder, um, which actually s- <laughs> sounded like he was swearing. Uh, it sounded like somebody come up to the mic and actually just sort of told me where to go. <laughs> yeah, but there, there was no one there. There was definitely no one there, and and I played it back to other people, and they they heard the voice too. Um, but at the time, I didn't see anything. Um, so you know that would have been a perfect opportunity if I was the sort of person that wanted to see. You know that would have been ammunition. That would have been like, oh yeah, I saw this and I saw that, but I didn't. And I, I would have loved to have seen something, but you know, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mark, we are, we're really just about out of time for the show, for the, the for the interview portion of the show. But uh, before we, we go, tell everybody where they can get the book and also what is up next for you. What are you going to work okay. on next? Right. But the book is called Wyatt's Weird World. That's a W-Y-A-T-T-S. Wyatt's Weird World. It's available on Amazon Kindle. And um, my website is called It's a Dark, Dark Night. And um, my, my current book I'm, I'm working on now is, 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 you know, I've sort of got my own experiences out of the way and I'm working on other people. It's like uh, lo- local Cornish people 
and I've already got probably approaching, I think it's getting on for 50 pretty good stories now from various people. From up, It's funny, once, once people know you're onto it, they start, oh, this tab, nothing's ever happened to me except this one thing, and then they tell you a story, which is wonderful, you know. Um, so, yeah, I've got plenty of stories for that. I haven't got a title for it yet, but it's going to be about uh, sort of paranormal experiences within Cornwall. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm heading, and hopefully within, you know, by Christmas, with a bit of luck, I might, I might have that finished. Excellent. So, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. And, and and I can't recommend the book more. I mean, we barely scratched the surface. So there is a, a lot more. There's a lot more to, uh, to, to this book. And I recommend everybody try to try to get it. Uh, thank you so much, Mark, for coming on. We really appreciate having you. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate it. Thank All you. Right. And uh, stay on the line for us, Mark. We're going to close out this section. And guys, okay. we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. Buckle up for adventures, strap on your thinking gear, and prepare yourself to be inspired. The 4th Annual Paradigm Symposium is coming again to Minneapolis, Minnesota on May 12th through the 15th. An eclectic cast of presenters, including Scott Walter from History Channel's America Unearthed, Randall Carlson of Sacred Geometry International, historian and ufologist Rich Dolan, conspiracy, cryptozoology, and UFO writer Nick Redfern, and keynote hermeticist Lon Milo Duquette, as well as several other researchers and pundits in the fields of the academic the weird and the unknown with topics that range from archaeology and hidden history to alternative science, ancient aliens, paleo contact and world mysteries. Tickets are now on sale at the website to see all the details for this amazing event and symposium and to get your tickets now go to ParadigmSymposium.com Come to learn, leave inspired. All right, guys, here we are back on Conspiranormal. And during the interview, I had somebody that we know hit us hit us up about uh, coming on the show for a little bit. And that is Mr. Stephen Ogden, who hates me calling him sir. But uh, he is back <laughs> with us, and uh, he's also a little late for him. But uh, he, we wanted to talk about the German comedian – that wrote the song about Erdogan in Turkey. And we were kind of thinking about, I was kind of thinking about talking about this and then Steven hit me up about coming on. And I figured we get like, you know, since he's there in Germany, we get kind of like his uh, man on the street kind of view, our little European correspondent here. How's it going, Steven? Hey, yeah, good. And you? Pretty good. Awesome. Nothing, nothing else blow up over there. No, no other attacks or any kind of weirdness before we talk talk about the comedian. Uh decent last attack. Yeah, they're still going. None attacks. <laughs> yeah, you know, what I mean, yeah, it's all right. Now they caught that guy that had the that had the uh, the hat in the video, right? Yeah, did, did they I think catch they did, him? Yeah, yeah, they're not quite sure, but but they say any that, that that they got him. So yeah. So has this been conclusively linked to ISIS, the the uh, attack oh, in Belgium? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they said straight away, and that was us. And the people were linked to ISIS, and it's clear who they belong to. Okay, and what's going on with the refugee crisis since last we talked? 
Ah, oh, it's died down. Actually, it's not in the it's not in the news that much anymore. I mean, really? like once a day, once a day they mention like, oh, there's three hundred refugees have arrived on Lesbos or a Greek island and they're being sent back to Turkey. And but there's hardly any arriving here anymore because every every state in the EU has closed its borders. So, hmm. Yeah, we had talked about last time about the states like Macedonia and Serbia had closed yeah. closed their borders. Yeah. So uh, other states like Hungary and Poland, I guess they have closed their borders as well. Oh uh, well, they, they they were the first to close them, really. Yeah. So what's going on with the comedian? Because what we had heard, and, and give us his name as well. But what we had heard was that he is being the possibility of him being prosecuted. And being like spending five years in jail for basically yeah. writing a satirical a, song about a another leader that's not even the leader of Germany. Exactly. How does this actually work? And, and Turkey, by the way, is not a member of the European Union. So nope. that makes it even more baffling. They're a member of NATO, though. Let's not forget that. That's true. As well as Germany. Right. Uh, let me start. Right. The comedian's name is Jan Böhmermann. Right. And he, uh, he wrote a poem about Erdogan. It's basically saying that Erdogan has fellatio with goats. Um, <laughs> yeah. were, were rubber masks while watching young uh, children be abused and all that kind of stuff. And uh, his genitalia smells of uh, and kebab and uh, all that kind of stuff. And he said that on state-run <laughs> TV. Paid for by taxpayers, and um, right, Erdogan obviously didn't like this. <laughs> and there's a really old German law, and it's um, 103 SCGB, and SCGB is basically the law code, and it states that it is illegal for a citizen of Germany to um, denounce the leader of a of a nation. Okay. And uh, that was um, brought in like 300 years ago or something. Oh no, like 200 um, years ago. Because back then, if a politician said like um, anything bad about the leader of a different country, back then things were simple. They started a war over it. Well, there so wasn't even a Germany 200 years ago. Not really. And there was a uh, the German Reich, the Second yeah. Reich. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, back then the <laughs> the flag was still uh, red, white, and black. So you know what I mean. <laughs> sure. And uh, that law basically states that if a person denounces the leader of a foreign nation, they can be prosecuted. And the thing that's happened now is Erdogan has uh, demanded that he be prosecuted for denouncing him for um, uh, uh, attack his honor. And all that kind of stuff. And the thing about the really uh, the clue about this law is, is that the leader of the of the country, in this case Angela Merkel, or the uh, federal government, has to allow the prosecution to take place. Because if a foreign leader says, right, you need to prosecute this guy, the um, the State Department can't just investigate him under this law. It says in the law that the chancellor or whoever's in in command basically needs to authorize the State Department and to look into this. And um, she basically said, "Yes, you are allowed to look into him. We need to start this now." Crazy. Well, let me and, read a little bit here from this. Uh, yeah. This is from uh, someone actually. Another listener of the show sent me this a couple of weeks ago. 
And this says, according to paragraph 103 of the German Criminal Code, insulting a foreign head of state can result in a three-year jail term, or if the insult is an intended slander, the sentence can stretch to five years. Broadcaster ZDF has since removed the poem from its website. Chancellor Angela Merkel also personally intervened with a phone call to Turkish Prime Minister Ahmet Davu Tuglo, in which she described the sketch as a deliberate insult. For, for Bonnerman to face legal actions, the Turkish government will have to make an official complaint. According to Tagspil, Merkel's intervention claimed the Turkish government, making it less likely they will resort to this, calmed the Turkish government, making it less likely they will resort to this measure. <laughs> so is she trying to intervene for this well, guy or is she, she trying to get him railroaded? Uh, a bit of both. She's basically, the thing that she's done now is she's opened the way so that the State Department is allowed to, and to investigate. So her hands are basically clear. Now it's in the hands of the judiciary. Okay. So, but it also says too that Turkey uh, has to file a complaint. Has to file a formal, th- so they have. Oh okay. yeah, they have. All right, yeah. so I think this article is a few weeks, is a couple of weeks old. Yeah. So by now they've actually filed the complaint. Yeah, this is from and April seventh. Yeah. yeah, and it's gone through. Wow. So this is an actual state. Im- it's it is it started as a comedian reading a poem and has become a state emergency. <laughs> because as you said last time. Yeah. The reason that they're doing this is because yeah. Erdogan has the has his finger on the trigger and this idea that, that he's going to release all these refugees that are in his country and just yeah. send them into Europe. He has. He said if action is not taken against Burma man or any and if um, things like this and continue on German state run uh, media that the um the contract they now have with the EU will be void and he will go back on it and it will just be like before and thousands will go over the borders every day. And the thing, the thing is, right, Merkel had to now weigh her options. Either she lets Burmaman and take the fall, right? Or, and basically a, a number of people are now saying, a lot of people are now saying like only one eighth of the country actually agree with, uh, and with her at the moment. All of the others are saying you need to step down. Like the bosses of the private, like AMC and stuff, you know, they're like the private um, the TV, you need to pay for it. Uh-huh. And, and we've that in Germany as well. It's called RTL, Zat Eins, the Pro Sieben Group, all that kind of stuff. And they've actually said, the bosses of this have said, you need to step down because you are infringing on the very rights that we hold dear. You yeah. are infringing on the constitution. They're saying that to Merkel. Yeah. Wow. So this could cause some kind of constitutional crisis over there, possibly. It, it already has. It is. This is even the thing is this crisis now. It it's all been building up. Yeah. The re, before right a few years ago, you had the financial crisis. You had Greece. You had the EU. All of this, like the Brexit stuff, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then you had the refugee crisis, and now you have the crisis over whether people are still allowed to speak their minds. Because through the refugee crisis, obviously, people started to say things that weren't said before, things that Germans didn't they didn't dare to say out loud. Like we need to stop the wave of migrants. People five years ago, if you said that, you'd be almost lynched in the streets over here. Yeah. 
Yeah, and now it's like everyone, you cannot speak with a person without it becoming political. It is impossible over here. Every, every, everything's hyped up on it. Right. It's like, it's like over in the States with Trump. Merk, <laughs> Merkel, the refugee crisis, and now the freedom of speech crisis, as, the, as it's called here, is basically our Trump. Yeah. Yeah. It's become that serious. Yeah, because it over is. here, I mean, you can't go for five minutes without somebody mentioning something political, especially we have a very volatile climate over there, and it's looking more and more volatile over there. Have there been any protests oh, yeah. uh, in Yesterday. the streets in support of this guy? Yeah, anti Merkel, uh, anti Merkel. As you see, my Facebook profile is just we burn, is it's just he burn me, and that's been going around a lot. Uh, there's been big protests. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Just we burn me. You said. What does that mean? Just we burn me. It's uh, deri- it's derived from uh, just we Paris and uh, and just we Brussels, which basically okay. means I am. Okay. Or, you- you know, I am I am Hebdo or whatever. It, it it's it started with that, and now with just we burn, which means I am a Burma man, which means I have I could say something about Erdogan and go to jail about it, and I have the right to say what I mean. Yeah, because you have a constitution, and I don't know how the if there's a kind of like a bill of rights in Germany, but I would say yeah. that it's very similar to here that you do you you have freedom of speech. In yeah. Germany, unless you're a Nazi, but yeah, that, yeah. that's that's you know that's neither here nor there. But yeah, you have freedom of speech in that country. The, and, the, yeah, and to say yeah. that this guy cannot say this satirical poem, cannot sing this song, and they're going to send him to jail. I mean, it's unbelievable. It is, and the thing is, the, right? Basically, Erdogan has said he did this. Purely to slander me, but Burmaman is saying no. I used you as an example to show that our freedom of speech has limits, yeah. and I was proven right. And this whole situation is exactly why I wrote the poem. And I don't really care about you, you bloody kebab eater. <laughs> uh, you know, it, all I'm all I'm after is that we have freedom of speech because every day I'm I'm reading how how and can you say that how and can you live with yourself and he's like going I can say whatever the hell I want it doesn't matter yeah and, and you know something about Turkey um, you know Erdogan has really taken that country back I mean Turkey has had a strange history oh yeah uh, at least ever since the I mean, you know, you have the end of the Ottoman Empire, and then you have uh, uh, Turk and the kind of yeah. But it became a secular society, and Islam exactly. Islam was not uh, it was not in the forefront of no, that it society. It was still there. It was, but it was just a part. It was like here, you know, you're Christian, but you're American. You know, yeah. you're there. You're Tur- you're you're a Turk first. You're a Muslim second. Well, exactly. in the last ten years, and Erdogan was the uh, the prime minister. Before yeah. he was, he became president. I think he was prime minister for God, like 10, 12 years, something ridiculous. And he has basically with his party, which are very, not incredibly extremist Muslims, but there's oh, much they- more of a of an emphasis on Islam that they have. And they yeah. have kind of turned back the clock as far have- as uh, this emphasis on Islam in Turkey. Exactly. They have, they have. And the thing is that, He's saying, like, 
it's just with Erdogan, he's a hard person to deal with, basically. Yeah. Especially because if, if, if we speak in reality, right, he has the EU and especially Germany and Merkel um, by the reproductive organs. Right. You know what I mean? He has, he has the hand right around them. You know what I mean? And, he, and he's just squeezing as he likes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, it, it's basically, I think as we said before, I mean, it's, it's mafia tactics. Yeah. It really and, is. And it's with Erdogan. They actually had a German reporter in the parliament and Erdogan stopped the proceedings and he looked at him, he pointed at him, he said, what the hell are you doing in Turkish parliament? We're in Turkey, not in Germany. Yeah. You know, and then that's the kind of guy, he's the kind of person who hunts women down on a women's day with, um, and with tanks and police for demonstrating for more rights. Yep. In I a mean, country where women had rights, but they've been stripped. Yes. Yes. And and that's the kind of person he is. Yeah. Once again, I mean, you had just this kind of secular society and now it's been, it's, it's become more and more Islamized as it, as it's gone forward. You know, what, it, in Turkey itself, I mean, what do you hear about kind of what's going on there? Cause there, as you just mentioned, there is this, um, civil strife going on and With these the protests Kurds, yeah. and, but there, yeah, but there has to be uh, a good stress on this society from the, the refugees that are just flooding into Turkey. And, and, really. and it's kind of Turkey's fault because Turkey has, uh, Turkey has really pressed. They, they have supported ISIS. Of in course Syria. they have. Of course they have. They've bought all the oil of them. No other place in the region would buy the oil of them. Only the Turks. Yep. And honestly, if you ask me, the Russians bombed the supply uh, train, basically, filled with raw oil from, from ISIS bound for Turkey. And a week later, the Turks they shot down the Russian plane. You know, the fighter jet? Remember yep. that? Mm -hmm. I do. The, I, I bet that wasn't the response to that. Yep. It is, the Turkey is fighting a proxy war in the region with ISIS against the Russians. And if we now, if we step back... Look at the larger picture. Turkey is a part of NATO, supported by Germany, France, America, Great Britain. I mean, Germany had had anti-air defenses in, in Turkey for years and years. America had planes based their drones have flown from Turkey, attacking Afghanistan and such. Mm -hmm. So Turkey is a huge partner in the Middle East, from NATO and the West. And the thing is with Turkey, we have now opened Pandora's box in Europe with Turkey. We have let them in. We've signed an agreement with them. And you, you just, oh no, it's just, it's been open. The box is open and now it's out in the open. Yeah. Well, you know, Erdogan also has this idea of uh, neo Ottoman or yeah. neo Ottomanism. Re rebuilding uh, the Reich. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he basically does. I mean, he basically, it's not exactly that they're going to have. Uh, territorial control, but they're going to have a vast economic and military control of that region. And yeah. that's part of their uh, moves against the Kurds in yeah. Eastern Turkey. And that's yeah. why they don't like the Tur the Kurds in Iraq and also in Northern <laughs> Syria. They don't, they don't like them having their autonomy uh, because that yeah. is a huge threat to them. And so th that, th I think that that's what they're going towards. And maybe, you know, they're almost like, they have their own agenda, basically. They do. They do. They have their own agenda. And honestly, if you ask me, they let all the refugees in to now 
blackmail Europe. That isn't what they're used for now, the refugees in Turkey. I mean, they live in horrible conditions. Yeah. And, you know, they, they build like this great camp and they let all the reporters in and say, look at this great camp we've built. It's for all the refugees and all the refugees will be housed in camps like this. But then freelance reporters go to Turkey. They drive like three hours from the airport into the middle of the desert. And there's hundreds of thousands of refugees in the middle of the desert in tents starving. Mm -hmm. That's what the situation is in Turkey. And the, the refugees fleeing Turkey now to Greece that are being sent back say, you know what, we would rather, even though Greece is not that great, we would rather stay in Greece and go back to Turkey because the Turks are almost as bad as ISIS. Yeah. They're just yeah. basically using those people and they, and they probably hate them yeah. because, you know, even though they're all Muslim, there's still this divide. I mean, you have the Turks exactly. and you have, and the, but they're Arabs, they're not Turks. Yeah. And, and, and Erdogan is very much, you know, uh, this idea of pan-Turkism, you know, he sees, well, I mean, basically in his mind, the Turks are the master race, right? Yeah, he sees yeah. himself as a new grand sultan. Mm -hmm. Yep, very much so. Yep. Rob, you got any thoughts on any of this we're talking about? <laughs> uh, to be honest, I, I learned most of what I know here on the podcast from you guys. So uh, this this is all a lot of new information. Um, I do I do think the um, the censorship as far as the uh, the comedian goes is just awful. The way that's being handled. If you knew, honestly, he, he has now had to flee the country. Oh, wow. He's really? left Germany. Yeah, two days after they heard that all of his family, the, his entire extended family even, had to go under special police protection. All of the belongings removed from the houses, stored in secret areas. Uh, they're brought to safe houses. And he's now wrote on Facebook today that he will be uh, taking a break from broadcasting and uh, social media, Facebook and Twitter, that he's going to put all that on hold because he needs to protect his family, basically. He made a few jokes in the post because he's just that kind of guy. Everyone loves <laughs> him, basically. You know, Even if sometimes he has a different opinion than you do, he still makes you laugh about your own opinion at the end of the day. And you know that he's a, a good guy at the end of the day. You know what I mean? He's that, he's that person. And he's, he's now said he's going to leave the country. No one knows where he's gone, but he jokingly said he's going to North and Korea to learn about freedom of press. <laughs> well, it reminds me of the line from the Clash song, Know Your Rights, which is, you know, you have the right to freedom of speech. It's basically something like you have the right to freedom of speech unless you're yeah. dumb enough to actually try it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's kind of where he's, it's going. He's and, tried it. You know, we have similar things, man. I mean, with the whole over here, with the whole political correctness, I mean, that in and of itself is a restriction of free speech. It's, it's even worse uh, over here. People use the anti-bullying thing over here also, yeah. which I think is positive in many ways. But they, but there are, there's just some, I have some concern about it because you could use that to say, oh, your language is bullying. When really you're yep. just saying what's on your mind. Right. You need to not oppress opinions because it's yeah. important for, even if everyone's opinions are different, it's important that they're all out there in the public view. Yes. Exactly. It's, it's like a great example for this. It's like a bullying in school, right? If, if a group of kids, it chase, uh, a person who's overweight and say, oh, you're fat and you're ugly, you'll never, you die alone and things like that. We need to work against that because the culture in schools, especially as I've seen in, in America, as I've, I read a lot about it, and in Germany, is very, 
deconstructive, one can say. You know, it's not, it's, they don't, uh, the, the children won't go to school because they're scared of going to school. Yeah. Because of the bullying. I can understand anti-bullying in that sense. The problem is that if, if you say the sky is pink and suddenly someone says, you're, you're a bloody idiot. No, it's blue. And yeah. here's why it's proven. And then people say, oh, stop bullying him. And, and you're going like, that's not bullying at all. It's stating the facts of real life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of like saying that you that you uh, that you really prefer kind of like fat women, but uh, yeah, but you uh, you really you really like them, but somehow that's a that's a compliment. That's not a compliment; it's an insult. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, I won't uh, dwell too long on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where are we, we at? Want, we don't want more emails, do we? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> or just send them. Bring them on. Yeah. Uh, where are we at, Rob? How far? Are we? Uh, two ten. We're good. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there, uh, Stephen. And yeah. uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on, giving us because we were going to talk about it anyway. But uh, it was good to yeah. have you to kind of hit us up about it. So, but uh, we're going to close the show out, guys. Uh, next time, this is kind of a weird day because we're we're time traveling here because we're we're going to do tonight on April seventeenth a uh, interview with Joshua Cutchin. And he's coming on, already got the, uh, but we're going to have that come on first because we advertised it first. So next time we will actually be talking to Scotty Roberts. We're going to have him on for a full show. We're going to talk about the Paradigm Symposium and just whatever other topic we want to talk about. And hopefully we'll have uh, Mr. John Ward on there with us as well. So Steven, stay on the line with us. We're going to close out the show. And thank you guys for listening to another grand episode of Conspiranormal.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.